Welcome to Blended from McGraw-Hill. I'm your host, Wes Hallam, and today we are joined by Yurtsev Oymas, who is the Associate Professor in Finance from the Norwich Business School at the University of East Anglia in the UK. Uh, Yurtsev teaches across a range of different courses, um, has a rather ginormous postgraduate uh, postgraduate module um, that we're going to talk about today. And um, Yurtsev, welcome to the podcast. It's really good to have you here. Hi, thanks. Uh, thank you so much, Wes, and thanks for your invitation. And uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, we're going to talk about the industry. We're going to talk about the future of the industry. So uh, overall, it's good to be here. Thank you. Oh, no worries at all. So um, just slightly before we started recording, we were having a chat about the uh, the sort of the, the current state of of particularly finance courses and teaching on finance courses. And you mentioned that um, whilst lots of other disciplines and uh, and subject areas are experiencing a bit of a decline in student numbers, you were saying that your cohort is rapidly expanding and getting huge. But sort of uh, tell us a bit more about that. Why do you, why do you think that's happening? We experienced the lockdown for a while during the COVID and we were thinking that so we're going to get rid of it in the short period because I remember that when the first lockdown, it is not lockdown, the, the measures, uh, social distancing measures uh, introduced in April 2020, we were all thinking that it's going to be sorted out in a couple of months. But uh, after the first major social distancing measures and the second one at the beginning of 2021, um, everything has changed. Our, uh, now there is no recommendation for social distancing, but still experience, we, we are still experiencing the same thing. Shaking the hand is just like it's still a question mark in our minds. So uh, in the post-COVID world, uh, everything's changed. And, uh, you know, uh, most of the times uh, we were thinking that um, we're going to have the social life uh, in our uh, working environment, in our schools, in our, uh, in our um, pubs, in everywhere. We were thinking that everything uh, will be the same in the future, but now it is not. It has changed. Uh, my understanding is that uh, the number of students in my discipline is going to increase because uh, the students' habits, it's also changed. Uh, now, the problem is induction of the students in post-COVID world is challenging, is the main challenge. And Maybe they think that uh, a discipline like finance would fit to 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 make them ready to survive in post-COVID world. Uh, so this might be the reason of increased number of students. Another one is uh, the natural sciences might be a little challenging because again the habits of the student change over time. They think that everything uh, will be a video, everything will be an online material, but in natural sciences, you should go to the lab, you should have an experiment over there. 
that might be an easy way to get a degree <laughs> rather than rather than spending too much time on 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 experiments learning the methodology might be much easier in in, in 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 social sciences compared to natural ones the number of students increased uh, in the UK most of the higher education institutions uh, rely national students uh, and we should get back to our uh, high volume of students from different parts of the world uh, it's kind of back online uh, it will increase uh, now we started to increase the number of international students from a different part of the world uh, it wasn't like this before, but now we have students from, from different parts of the world. We increase the numbers and the rest of the world is still back. Uh, we're still waiting for the students and we're going to have a huge number of students. They increase their demand in postgraduate education uh, because I believe that the students also do not trust their education during the COVID period. So they want to extend their knowledge with a with a postgraduate degree. That might be another reason of the increased number of students. So they don't feel conf uh, confident uh, with their degrees uh, during the time uh, of the COVID, uh, but they want to go further. So they might have uh, they might want to have another degree to extend their knowledge. This might be another reason. That's a really interesting perspective. And the, the we know that a lot of um, undergraduate lecturers have had some some challenges and some doubts around the quality of the education of students coming into university. So that disruption, you know, at, at, for 16, 17, 18 year olds at school had a lot of knock-on implications for sort of confidence in at undergrad level but i hadn't really thought about it from the postgraduate perspective as to why that might you know that that damage that was done because you know it we can't say it was the same level the same type or style of, of education for, at undergrad level during those lockdown years yeah people might feel a little more drawn into into staying into education for a further year um that's 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 a really interesting perspective, um, and I guess particularly from sort of your your perspective in um, in the finance world, that sort of employability and and transition and progression into into jobs is it's probably more clearly defined, I think, for for a you know a, a student studying corporate finance, for example. Do you have have you seen that there's been any any change in the students or or kind of how prepared they they are, either when they come to you or when they leave? Has, has there been a difference? Um, there is a change. Uh, there's a change. There's a change in the job market and there's a change in the in the structure. Uh, of the cohort that you that can see in front of you in the classroom. Uh, my understanding is that they are eager to learn more after after college because they learn uh, they learn that uh, accessing the information is easy. They if they want to learn something, they know where to go. They know use the online resources. Before COVID, uh, 
they were expecting from you because you're the lecturer, you're the instructor, uh, you deliver the lecture, they, you deliver the seminars, uh, you know, uh, workshops, they will engage and they will have a discussion on the topics, they will have presentation. They were expecting that uh, you need to lead, you need to lead to cohort. But today, my understanding is that they know when they put enough effort by themselves, they can get the information. So in here, rather than managing the cohort from my perspective, leading them, informing them about where to find the relevant information is is appropriate in today's world. So uh, in, in in my in my in my lectures and seminars, especially at the beginning of the semesters, uh, what I do, I show the job posts and show them, okay, guys, this is the job post. They need these requirements. They ask, they ask from you. You should know it. And um, if you do not know where to go to get these talents, just let me know. I can help you. But these are the requirements. Look at them and think what you can, you can get in the short run in the long run, what kind of plans you might have to get all of these talents. When you get your degree, you will go to the job market, you're gonna apply and you will say that, okay, uh, I don't have this talent, what should I do? You're gonna, you're gonna feel uh, uncomfortable. But if you do it today, if you do it today, it's gonna be fine. I also say that, okay, the cost of time management is so less during your time uh, in, your, in your education. But in the professional life, the cost of time management is so high. So in here, just try yourself, try yourself. Try to find your best practice. You, you're gonna use the online resources, but the timing is important. You're gonna do it in the morning, you're gonna do, do it in the afternoon, you're gonna do it in the midnight, you're gonna decide on it. and. You're going to try yourself. You're going to find the best combination. The cost of it is so less today and just try. And overall, I can tell that today, after COVID, in the post-COVID world, students are independent. They know where to get the information. If you provide the relevant information, if you, if you show the roadmap, show the roadmap, um, they have the compass, they can find their way. So uh, I believe that my role has changed over time. But then managing the cohort, uh, leading them uh, is, the, is the current, current case for the, for the, for the education. That is uh, that is absolutely fascinating. Um, I'm sure there would be, uh, there might be some, undergraduate lecturers who who would uh, who'd love to have your cohort as uh, cohort of students with, with with that kind of mindset but that that idea of of really clearly linking to the students early on in the semester that this is the job the kind of job that you're going to and these are the skills that you need i think that's i think that's brilliant um you know we hear 
we hear a lot of competing things around, you know, employability and, uh, and, and how students are developed in terms of their skills for the professional life. But that's a really clear link between if you want this job at this bank or company or whoever, then this is these are the skills that you need and how how can you help develop how you know and you're there to facilitate them learning those skills and developing those talents i think that's that's really that's a really good way of doing it um 100 going to steal that and pass that off as my own idea by the way just just so you know um <laughs> but i think it is you are you're right in terms of the dynamic between instructor and student you know has shifted massively the we've always known that access to information has been um sorry access to information has been um varied so my cat just jumped on my leg so that's the, <laughs> that's the sense of the, the since the internet started becoming much more widespread, we knew that that kind of informational model had shifted and changed and, and that access to information was easier. It was then the skill was being able to interpret that, apply that and use that somewhere else. And you can kind of actually start to see that. And this leads us on to another thing I wanted to talk about really, really nicely. You can see that same change beginning to happen with things like AI-driven AI driven content creation. So, um, you know, the big one at the moment is, you know, OpenAI and ChatGPT about what that is going to do in terms of transforming the way that content is, is created, not just necessarily um, consumed or the way that, that we utilize it, but that creation aspect. Um, I had on the podcast uh had on the podcast before um a guy called dominic lutes from the university of oxford who who actually went to quite good lengths to explain that at the moment this sort of ai and chat gpt and all these sort of things are still in the predictive stage what they're looking at is trying to create a best match for what's there and there's a bit of a misunderstanding about about a wider misunderstanding about how it what it it can actually do um but what from from your perspective obviously you're preparing these students to to go off in into the world of into the world of work you're obviously doing a lot of research as well at the same time what what impact do you think this introduction or more open introduction of ai based tech is is going to do to both the industry and to and to your teaching it's going to be really important it's going to be really important in the future it's going to be really important in the near future but i want to take a conservative perspective at this point because um, i'm not saying that uh, everything that can be invented has been invented it is a quote from from charles through uh, in 18 89, uh, that guy was the commissioner of US uh, patent office. He, he was thinking that everything was invented. So we need to shut the commission down. So uh, so I'm, I'm not saying that one. I'm not saying that one. Uh, but I want to take a conservative perspective here because uh, university is a, is a, is a strict structure. Uh, 100 years ago, we don't have the cars, we don't have the planes, we don't have the internet, but we had the university system. 200 years ago, 300 years ago, we had the system. And the change in higher education is not so fast. So 
rather than taking an active role uh, at higher education, uh, at first stop, see what is going on, and then take the action will be the best uh, case. It is clear that uh, it is clear that the uh, artificial intelligence and the products related to AI will be essential. But at the end of the day, we need to rely on the role of of the human, the role of the of, uh, of the of the of the psychology. So. Um, I'm not. I'm not the. I'm not the expert on it, but uh, that might be a little scary because it, it might be the Skynet. <laughs> it might be the Skynet. It's just like uh, because I I I I I I was thinking that yes, uh, I tried Chat GPT, and I was thinking that okay, it's just like a software. But I ask a couple of questions and I was shocked because, because it is not like an answer from 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 the from the software. It's just like an answer from a person. So um, again, I want to take a conservative uh, perspective here. It's gonna be important, but at first we need to see the. Uh, outcomes, then we can take an active role inside. In education, yes, artificial intelligence is important, but I still trust the power of in-person teaching. Uh, you can find many pedagogical and academic reasons to have in-person teaching, but my reasoning relies on the psychology. You should have the students in the same place. Your interaction with them, their interaction, their interaction, uh, having groups, their conversations uh, are still important. So uh, let's see what will happen. Uh, I need to. I need to. I need to wait for a while. And of course, it is it is important <laughs> because uh, <laughs> the plagiarism is is, is the case is the case of the of the chat GPT. Uh, it's an uh, it's an additional workload. We should also consider that one. <laughs> it's it's quite it's quite fun. The, the the chat I had with with, with Dominic was yeah you know, we were talking about these you know what are the what are the the red flags that seem to to, to be raised up the people that are that are worried and and he was I, I recommend listening to it actually he kind of he does a really nice breakdown of of you know how the plagiarism thing actually works and, and what it does and it's quite it, it was it was quite interesting i mean i think a lot of people share your share your view on it as to you know what's going to happen next but i mean you know i think the the difference you know it's not like ai and high speed algorithmic work hasn't been around i mean particularly in finance you know most of the trades and the, most of the trading that is done on the stock market most of like the big investment things are all run through a black box algorithm somewhere that is predicting and making you know making very high level analysis very very quickly um i think it's interesting that this is sort of the first time that that black box is opened up i mean you know the, that kind of algorithmic ai driven stuff dictates the vast majority of our lives at the moment of of you know uh, 
social media, trend setting, the way that we consume content, all of those things are all hidden away. I think the the interesting thing in in this has been that this is the first time that really normal people or people with a with a moderate knowledge of how of how coding actually works can start to peel that back and see that for them see that for themselves and understand you know and train something and understand that process of how that, that those things work um i just, I just think it's it's an interesting it's an interesting field particularly in the finance world of you know in the in the academic side and in the professional life ai is the case you cannot deny the existence of AI because big data that you need to deal with uh, can be handled with AI. So, uh, in 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 my field, uh, in the in the industry, uh, AI is the reality at the moment. But for education, I'm still thinking. I'm still thinking how to be. Have to be implied in, in in education practice. No, to- totally fair. I think for the, the use cases I've seen, it does seem to vary from subject to subject, and it's it mostly it seems the conversation at the moment is kind of getting rid of those fears around plagiarism, around how is this going to impact my exams, my assessment, all that, all, all that kind of stuff. Um, actually, with with that around assessment. Um, we're seeing, we're starting to see a, a, a bit of a shift at the moment of of how assessment is done in the post COVID era. Because obviously during COVID we had those big, um, there were lots of challenges at the time for how do we set an exam when people are in different time zones potentially, or they you know they don't have access at the same. We can't get them into a room, and we saw a lot of um, open book exams um well not really open book exams but you know the the test was open for 24 hours so essentially it was an open book exam kind of thing um what what's happening with what's your perspective on assessment now sort of in this post um, in this post covid era where we don't have to be online for things anymore but what what's your approach to assessment at the at the moment how do you look at it uh, in the post-COVID world, uh, the students, this is what I said, the students are eager to learn by themselves. They know where to get the information. They know where to get the uh, data. Um, they have chance to take chance to use the online resources effectively. And in here, the assessment should rely on this perspective. Uh, in my, my assessments, Yes, of course, you should measure their knowledge. Uh, You should assess their knowledge in your assessments. But at the same time, you should know how they think. You should know how they address the problem. You should know how they uh, reach the solution. Rather than it's true or false, doesn't matter. They should show their pathway. So in, in the post-COVID world, my, my purpose is to measure how they think, is to assess how they, uh, how they react to, 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 to real-world cases. So rather than in here, I do not want to take any conservative perspective in assessment. Uh, uh, in, in, in post-COVID world, 
my purpose in assessments, my purpose is to encourage them to share their ideas. And um, with the with the level of knowledge uh, they can show, they can handle the real the solutions uh, in real cases. So uh, again, I try to take an active role in their assessments. I don't want to take any conservative role here. No, I think I think that's that that makes sense. The I, I personally have always had a. A, a, a difficult time with with kind of big traditional assessment, you know, single point exams. I did a I did an essay based mm-hmm. subject whilst I did my um, undergrad, and realised that by the end of it, most of my assessments were how much could you write in two hours about the subject that you kind of already know what the essay was going to be about. It was how good could you regurgitate the essay that you sort of planned and prepped before? And I said, that's not really a test of my knowledge or or, or of my thinking ability or any any of that stuff. So that kind of exam-based in a room, you've got two hours, go and do it assessment has never really appealed to me. so yeah, we're we're starting to see more of a more of the shift towards different forms of assessment, like you're saying, um, of you know what is you know what are we doing the assessment for? We're assessing their ability to think. What, they have like, the resources. They have the resources at the moment. They do not need to spend too much time to reach that information. They have the information in their hands. So they need to show they can find the correct information rather than showing that, yes, this is the information. In here, my purpose is to assess their their uh, strategy rather than rather than providing an outcome. Makes perfect sense. Um so we're just we're we we're, we're just about to reach the, the 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 time limit on this, but I wanted to ask you um a slightly more more abstract question. Um for for the next three, four, five years, I think we're going to be in this big, big period of change. We're still in this recovery mode, as you said. You know, your cohorts are, are, are ballooning hugely in terms of in terms of numbers. Um, but in general, for for kind of the finance education, so higher education, finance teaching, what are the the big challenges you see coming up in the next, you know, three to five years time. What what do you think people should be aware of to to think about for the future? Uh, in the short run, we're going to have higher number of students because this group is 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 uh, that group belongs to COVID period. They do not feel that they are confident in terms of uh, the level of knowledge. So we're going to have higher numbers in the short run. But uh, in the long run, I believe that the numbers will be in balance. Uh, So we're going to have smaller groups in the future. uh, And uh, the demand for any degree in social sciences will decline. Uh, will slightly decline. Of course, the the population uh, is increasing in all over the world. Uh, of course, uh, in some countries it is no, but overall the number increases. Uh, so the demand will also increase over time. But 
the speed uh, will be declined over time. The increasing will be getting slower. This is what I believe in the long run. So we're going to have small cohorts in the long run. And the number of students will affect the level and quality of education. Uh, the demand from the students will shift from ready information to puzzle-based information. They will demand more because they have the resources. They will take this challenge. Uh, they will ask, okay, provide me the roadmap and I will... I will find my own way. This is what they will demand, and this demand will increase in the future. So uh, the skills of the students in this field uh, will, will demand much more effort for the students. They will demand more. This is what I believe. So uh, at the end of the day, they should put much more effort to get these skills uh, and the need for the online resources will increase in, in finance education as well. So uh, we should keep integrating uh, the online resources in finance education. Uh, uh, the real-time data is important, so we should put uh, more examples of real data in our education practice, uh, in finance education. And uh, the quality of the students in finance education will increase over time because they already know how to get the information from, from different parts of the, of the online world. So I, I'm positive about the future of, of finance education. Brilliant. That is, that is, is wonderful. It's a really... It's a nice optimistic view of what's going to happen. And yeah, I, I agree. The 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 role of resources of how we engage with students is going is going to shift. And I think it'll be in, in, in the right direction. Um unfortunately, I think that's all we've got time for um today. But I, I'd just like to say thank you very much for for being on the on the podcast today. Um your insights really unique it's interesting and um so i'd just like to say thank you very much for for being on the pod thank you so much uh, it's a pleasure to have a chat with you thank you